morning, High Point Church. <clears throat> Our scripture reading is from John chapter 9 today, verses 1 through 41. If you are looking in the Bible that's in your pew, that is on page 1631. If you're in a different Bible, John is towards the back of the book. <clears throat> As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parent, nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. He then, how then were your eyes open, they asked him. He replied, the man they called Jesus put some mud on my eyes. He told them, he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened? The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? 
Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and they asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Good morning, High Point. Good morning. Am I on? Okay, great. Good to see all of you, and some of you are in uh, a leadership retreat, so I understand. Uh, and it's still a big group for me coming from India. Uh, but thank you for praying when I was in India. I was in India uh, last month, and uh, I was traveling to um, several places in one month. You know, at the last leg of my journey, I was hopping on one plane every day. And uh, I preached uh, a lot in several churches and encouraged believers and uh, visited the fields that we've been church planting. And uh, above all, we trained uh, over 600 pastors in different states of India. Uh, in one of the pastor seminars, uh, about three pastors came late. So I really don't like people coming late. That's very cultural, right? So I really asked them to stand up. And I asked them publicly, why are you late? It's not to insult them, but that's how I correct so that they will never do the mistake. <laughs> <clears throat> so they stood up. Um, then the pastor and his wife uh, said, we have seen that you're coming to train pastors in this area. We have seen it on WhatsApp. So we took three-hour bus all the way from our village, and it came only 15 kilometers away, up to there, the bus stop. That's where the bus has come, and from there, there is no other transportation. And we want to take auto rickshaw, which is a cab in India, and he demanded us 300 rupees, which is less than $4. And he said, we didn't have $4 to pay, but we really wanted this training. So we walked 15 kilometers. That broke my heart. And I told them, you sit down now. Everybody stand up. <laughs> and I said, you clap for them. And they really did that. So that is the kind of need we have in India, and pastors are kind of looking forward to the training that they needed, right? So I just wanted to thank you for praying and supporting our ministry with financial gifts. And without uh, your help, uh, I couldn't do there. So anything that's happening there, if God gives any reward to me, my team in India, you're part of that reward uh, through your persistent prayers for us, right? Well, let us get to the word, and today, uh, we read from chapter 9 of the Gospel according to John, where Jesus encounters a blind beggar who was stationed near the Pool of Siloam. 
in the southwest city of David in Jerusalem. Now, this blind man had probably asked Jesus and his disciples for alms and caught the attention of them as they were passing by. Now, when the disciples looked at him, instead of having compassion for him, they entered a discussion about the cause of his blindness, right? And now, were they planning for any medical treatment for him? I don't think so, because they were not looking for scientific reasons. They were only looking for religious reasons why he is blind, did he sin? Because they believed so much on the law of retribution, the law of karma. They wanted to find out what has caused his blindness. And they're not thinking about what would fix the blindness for him, but what has caused. Well, I was thinking, why were, why were they discussing about the reasons? I was thinking probably they were discussing just to avoid him or just to walk away from him without having any feelings of obligation to give. We do some of those similar things when we drive, right? When we see a homeless man at the crossroads and then we feel like we don't want to give, what do you say? In your head you say, oh, these guys are here. I mean, what's wrong with you? Go and work. You try to make some suggestions and walk away because you just wanted to feel no obligation and walk away without any guilt. That is what exactly disciples were trying to do. And now they have even pulled Jesus into the discussion asking him, Jesus, what karma he is carrying on his head, what karma he is having in his life, he sinned or his parents sinned. They just wanted to get their theology right. And immediately Jesus drops a 30 second answer on them that had changed the perception of the disciples and also had given hope to the blind man who was just silently sitting and listening and wondering what the heck is going on with these people who has given them right to think about my life. But he has not interjected into their discussion because he was listening to what Jesus said to them in verse three and four. He said, neither his parents sinned nor himself, but this happened to him, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What a hope that Jesus gives to this blind man, although disciples started with a bad beginning. And now Jesus said, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. The night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. This short answer had changed the whole life of this blind man because Jesus was telling to the disciples that he doesn't just need to see the natural light, but he has to see the great I am the savior of the world, the light of the world, than to first see the world of darkness. 
What a hope that Jesus had given. And in other words, he was saying to the disciples, yeah, children of God, you supposed to see the problem differently than the world does, especially when you are on mission with me. In other words, he was saying, you should be concerned about things bigger than what you envision in a worldly way. You cannot merely substantiate problems with satisfying answers that the world would offer. You cannot. You have to go beyond because you are walking with the creator on earth. And he was reminding them, I am the light of the world. He has repeated time and again that I am the light of the world, the great I am that the whole world has been waiting for. And he was telling to the disciples, don't see where this suffering stems from, but see where this suffering leads to. That is for the glory of God. Now, all that mourning that blind men probably had listening to this conversation has turned into joy when Jesus said, this is done for the glory of God. And he developed faith in him because faith is kind of seeing things blindly and he was the one. And he could really experience the power of God. And then Jesus immediately spits on the ground and makes a paste, you know, with mud and then applies on his eyes and this man goes and washes in the pool and then he goes back home seeing. And now when neighbors find out that he was no longer blind, that's what we read, and he was not dependent on people anymore. Instead of rejoicing with him, they began to investigate. Who opened your eyes? Who did this to you? When did this happen? And you know, Jews were already looking for finding fault with Jesus. You know what happened last week, right? They were trying to stone at him in Jerusalem and then he slowly escapes and now he suddenly does a miracle on Sabbath day. And now that is another big point for them. On Sabbath day you can't even do anything. Even they won't allow God to do anything. And the Mishnah actually says that you can't even heal yourself on Sabbath day. Imagine you fall in your bathroom on Sabbath day and then you can't even go to the emergency room. And you have to wait to fix your bone until next day unless it is life-threatening. That is what they believed in. And Jesus actually did seven separate miracles all on Sabbath day, not to tick off these religious leaders, but to tell them that Sabbath is all about not what you think, but Sabbath is all about God working in your life. You know, sometimes we make all these religious things to satisfy us, the ceremonial things. But God looks totally different at us. Sometimes you may not fit into the religious perceptions of a denomination. It doesn't matter as long as you fit into God's eyes, God's perceptions. So Jews kept asking the man time and again, when did Jesus open Probably they questioned him time and again so that he would change his story. And then what did they do? They actually tried to 
excommunicate him from synagogue. But before that, you know what this man says? The more he, quest- he was questioned and he became strong and asked them, do you also want to become disciples? So look at in verse 35, when Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. What a beautiful contrast. He has come into the world so that the blind who are suffering, who are, you know, at the arts, on the margins, are able to find the Savior. But those people who are privileged with all the theology, with all the commentaries, with all the, you know, facilities to worship in a peaceful area, have turned a blind eye to Jesus. So now, what do we learn from this passage? Understand that God has a purpose in each of your suffering and disability. You know, some people cannot accept prolonged disability, suffering, or failures. Do you know that God can use your own suffering to bring, bring greater good out of you? Greater good that you can never imagine. You know, certain things are reserved by God. You go to the hospitals, do so many things, it'll never happen, you get never healed because he has reserved until you are available to him to receive that glory in you, the glory of God. You cannot see the bright light in your life. That's what exactly this man has experienced here. Sometimes you can be rejected by people. Maybe you have a birth defect. Maybe you have a marital difficulty or you have a disobedient child or a loss of loved one and you name it, all of these are reserved by God that he wanted to really be glorified in you. Some of you may be single for a long time and worried about it, but God is saying, I wanted to be really glorified in you. Wait for my time. It doesn't matter what others think about you, but he say, think about what I think about you. I'm going to use your brokenness for my glory. I'm going to use your imperfections for my glory. Just wait on for my time. That is how we can rejoice. In Romans chapter eight, verse 28, Paul says, all things work together for good for those who love God and do according to his purposes. So don't try to numb yourself to the problems or keep complaining to God. Probably they keep bothering you all your life because of the outcome in them, but you need to look at what God is trying to look at you, how he's going to respond to your needs, and look at the things from God's perspective than human perspective. People may tell certain things, that is not the goal. That's what Jesus was trying to tell to his disciples. You have to have my eyes because you're with me. We are followers of Jesus, and we're supposed to have the eyes of Jesus. And I really want to say that divine miracles are just a doorway to spiritual reality, something greater for eternal purposes than temporal. Imagine 
If you are crippled or blind or diabetic or struggling with some terminal cancer and Jesus had healed you and you have become perfect and then you're completely healthy, how long will you live? 50 years? You know, 100 years from now, none of us will be here in this building. And we don't know even this building would exist by the time. And why worry so much about this physical healing and imperfection in our body and then worry too much about it and waste our time? Think about the blind man who got healed in this passage. He hung on to something beautiful and eternal than what he had received physically. He was thrown away from synagogue and he was hated by his own community and even his parents have disowned him and probably he must have felt life was better with blindness than to have eyesight. We don't even get into his head to see what he might be thinking. If God has given you suffering and it is purely for his glory because you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says he is going to equip you if you go through suffering because he wanted to use you to comfort the people in the similar situation. You know, sometimes we don't, we don't see that our suffering is going to contribute to something else. We always look inward and we try to criticize ourselves or criticize God or even criticize your own denomination for giving you wrong theology. But God is saying, what are you thinking? What on earth, what on earth you're actually thinking about? Because God always see you as his agent in the world so that he wanted to see the ripple effect that comes out of the, out of the testimony that God is creating in you. Even when Paul wanted to be healed, what did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient for you. That is what you need to understand. If you're going through suffering, it is not the question about whether my suffering will totally disappear, but you need to think about how God's grace can be efficient and sufficient for me. In your suffering, you should be available for God to display his power. You should be available in your suffering for God to display his power. Every pain, every suffering, God is there, God is in control. He can eliminate, he can create a new kidney, but he may not. Do that because anyway that new kidney will still go to the grave one day. What happened to Lazarus? Jesus raised him from the dead but still he was dead again. So don't depend on the temporal blessing that God would give you but depend more on what God has for you in eternity. You know, think about this man. This man comes from Hyderabad. His name is Bhaskar Rao. He comes from a Brahmin family in India. And he was born blind and lost his father at the age of five. His mother and relatives raised him in Hindu scriptures and uh, devotional songs and uh, religious chanting. And also he was taught to hate Christians 
being blind. He was very much interested in music and education, but his, par- I mean, his mother and relatives felt, oh, it's not worth uh, giving him education because he's blind. So one day, uh, he happened to go to Christmas carols because he loves music. There he meets with the pastor who took initiative to ask him questions and he said, do you want to be educated? We will take all the risk on us. And he said, sure, I would love to. And he was thinking, I hated these people all my life and now these people wanted to educate me. Sure, I will take it for free. So he was sent to Braley School in the South, India. And this 10-year-old boy was a brilliant boy that he learned Braille in 15 days and began to read the books while other children took two years to learn Braille. And he actually completed his 10th grade in four years. He was promoted every alternate year to the upper class. Such a brilliant boy, right? And later he finished Bachelor of Arts in, uh, and a six-year diploma in music and an engineering degree in electronics. You know, he can repair Yamaha, Korg, Casio, and Roland, these electronic things, being blind. He can solder and do. In Twin Cities, Hyderabad and Secunderabad, if you go with the musical instrument and looking for a, a repair shop, they will all refer to go to Bhaskar, the blind man. In 1984, the government of India invited him to play musical instruments on television with the handsome pay. He was able to play tabla, he was able to play veena, flute, and you know, violin, all sorts of instruments. He was like very famous and he received eight gold medals. One day, the Lord asked him, what is he going to do with all that he's achieving that he's not even able to see things directly? And he gave his life to the Lord and he said, I really don't want these awards. I'm going to give up everything that I'm doing in the world but for the Lord. And then when he started doing that, he began to get more offers from the government, and particularly there was a medical team, a medical research team that went from United States to find out what's going on with his eyes. He's such a brilliant. And one of the doctors said, we'll be probably able to give you at least one eye. So allow us to do the research. This is what it would cost, but we'll take care of it completely. You know, this is what he said. I know I cannot see the light, the natural light of the world, but I can see the light of the Lord. And then he said, even if science can restore my eyes, I do not want them. I will only open my eyes when I meet with my Savior. What a beautiful answer. He's still alive. I wanted to meet him, but my time did not permit. I was in his city. So we we have to think about how we can stay focused, how we can even turn to Jesus all that we have. That's what Jesus said. The blind will see, and those who see will become blind in the kingdom terms. That's what happened even to the disciples when they were seeing at this man, they were thinking about what is unseen, the reasons behind his blindness. 
But whereas the blind man listening to the words of Jesus when he was talking to the disciples, he developed faith. So Jesus told to his disciples, stay focused in this world of vain philosophies. That's what we fail to do. We don't stay focused. You know, when I was in India, my son was sick. Then afterwards, my wife and other child were sick, like the whole family was sick. I was traveling a lot, and it's a disturbance to me. But I said, Lord, yeah, you are there to take care of them. I just said, you know, I'm not going to be disturbed by Satan. No, even my wife is really good at that. She never disturbs me, and she doesn't even send me text messages what she's going through. And when I call her, and she can't even talk because her you know, voice was completely gone. That is what we need to, we should not be distracted by what's going on in the world, rather than we have to see what God is doing in the world. God wants to bring this issue to the disciples so that they can see kingdom purpose in the issue rather than the issue in the world. It is important to attend to the things that concern us, whether it is intellectual or emotional or physical, but much more important thing in life is to do the work of him, the kingdom work when we are healthy, when we are strong, not when we are retired and have spare time. That's what we do. We try to do something for the Lord during our spare time. No. When it is day, when it is light, that's what Jesus said to his disciples. It is our opportunity. Use all it for his glory. In other words, as followers of Jesus, Jesus is calling his disciples to involve in his mission in season and out of season. We don't have to be sitting around and going through all sorts of strategizing, strategizing trainings, like, you know, how we can do this more, much better way. You know, get out there. There are lots of opportunities to witness for Jesus. You know, when you see a need, you should always respond to it with spiritual implications in mind. When you see a need, don't just see it as a need, because that is how so many Christian institutions, churches were lost. They are lost in doing humanitarian work, and they least bother about where their souls go to. You can give the best of life to anybody, but you're giving them probably for 50 years, next 25 years, but God has to give them life for the eternity. That is what your, your focus should be on. That is what Jesus did in John chapter four when he went through Samaria. He felt hungry for souls, and he was there thirsty at the well, and woman comes there for water, and then, you know, you look at that, she wanted water, but finally Jesus tells, I'm gonna give you living water. And then disciples come back with food and tell, Jesus, we, bought, we, we brought hot, hot dogs here. Come on, eat. Bacon here, so, I mean, they don't eat bacon anyway. That's a heavenly food for us here, right? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish his task. That is my food. That is how I am satisfied. 
You remember one day, Jesus was going from Bethany early morning and he wanted to have a breakfast from a, from a fig tree and then there is no fruit and he tells, oh, how come you don't have any fruit? And he, t- he tells the fruit, a tree that you will never bear any fruit and nobody is going to eat fruit from you. And the tree felt, and it is useless to live anymore, and died next day. And the tree committed suicide. I mean, literally, Jesus did not tell the tree to die. He actually said, no one will eat fruit from you. You know, we have to really respond to the needs with spiritual implications in mind. That's what I do when I go to India. You know, I had a, a seven-hour road journey in, in the state of Orissa, and uh, we had a driver who is a non-Christian, and it is a very sensitive area. The state of Orissa um, is a very sensitive area where hundreds of people were killed in 2008, and you know, thousands of Christian homes were burned. So I have a team that was going with me in the same car, and we were using the words very, very, very carefully so that the driver does not, you know, flag anything outside elsewhere. That would, you know, impede what I, I, I was planning to do uh, for training in the next uh, few days. So, the Lord asked me when we were driving, this man from a Brahmin background, driving here, young man, you're going to do something elsewhere, but he's right in your car. What do you want to do with him? I said, Lord, it is difficult, you know. What if I can do right now, and then something goes against, you know, everything that I'm going to say, and then next conferences can be canceled, and every investment will be waste. And the Lord said, don't worry about it. Then I told my team, can you hire the same man when I go back after the trainings? And they said, yes, we will do. So after our seminars, again, they approached him whether he could uh, uh, come back to take us to the train station. And that man actually was trying to charge double, 10,000 rupees more, because he learned that I have come from America. (laughs) Then I said, yeah, we will pay that, please. So we paid that, and then he came and driving, And then as he was driving, and I asked this man, tell me what is the greatest desire you have in your life and what is the greatest need that you have? Then he said, sir, I have something about my son. He's just one year old. And he told the problems that his son is facing. Then I asked him a question, what if you know, he gets what you're looking for him in his life, and is he going to live forever with that? And he said, no. Will you see what he will do in future, you know, when you're like another 70 years and then you move on, and you will die, you're not going to see. But where your soul will go? And I began to ask several questions, and then he began to ask me several questions, and finally, I prayed with him when he was driving. And then he was prayed for, and he said, thank you so much. And he was even saying, like, sir, I really don't want to take more money from you. I said, no, I want to give you more money. 
So we have to be kingdom focused in season and out of season. Sometimes it may not be like, you know, comfortable for you. It may be hard, but still you have to do his business. We should not be distracted by what is going on in the world. That's what happened to disciples when they saw the blind man. They were thinking through something to really distract themselves so that they don't have to do the work that Jesus was about to do. Third, stand with Jesus despite opposition. You know, look at what happened to the blind man rather than what happened to the disciples. When Jesus was giving commission to the disciples at this whole story, and it was the blind man who took the commission to his heart rather than the disciples. I was really wondering about how this man really was changed inwardly rather than outwardly. After receiving his sight, what happened with neighbors? Neighbors had a hard time believing him, right? They were wondering whether he's the same guy or a different guy. That's what happens to you also when you encounter Jesus. People will count on you and judge you by your past rather than what you are about to become. But yet, you need to live by the standard that Jesus has set you on. Parents, what happened to parents? Parents distanced themselves. They actually chose the membership of the synagogue, synagogue over his own son. His son was blind for probably 30 years, and now he receives his sight, and they're supposed to celebrate, run through the streets and declare, but they have distanced from their son choosing the reputation of the leaders. Pharisees, think about Pharisees. They were concerned about the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. Probably, probably the leaders, the spiritual leaders through whom you have come to Christ, the same leaders might suppress you. You know, God can use even our own people, right? Against us. But you're called to God's mission so that you would stick to what Jesus says to you, stand with Jesus. What did this beggar say? Once I was blind, all I know is once I was blind, now I see. Once I was blind, now I see. You know, we sing this song during funeral time. I don't even know why do we sing on funeral time. We have to sing it every day. And then when Jesus found him, and Jesus asked, do you believe in Son of Man? And he said, yes, Lord, I believe. And he received it, and he declared it until his last breath. People may not agree with your story. Probably you have a simple story of faith, and you think your story is not effective, and you wanted to borrow it from somebody else. You don't need to. Your story, whatever simple way that Jesus has given you light in your heart, that is enough for the people, because God is going to use your own story whether it is relatable or not, whether it is convincing enough or not. But you need to begin sharing your story of transformation with people that you encounter every day. You know, last month I visited uh, Orissa, I said, where uh, dozens of Christians were killed and thousands of houses were burned, right? And that place, after our training, a pastor standing here, 
asked me if I could go to his church and encourage his believers. I said, I'm already tired of teaching whole day. Uh, can we do it uh, in my next trip? No, sir, you should, you should come now. I will quickly gather my believers. I said, okay, I'm coming, because I saw his passion. So I went there, it was already night, and this man stood up and shared his story. In 1984, his father built the church in the same place, and when it was thriving, anti-Christians came and destroyed the whole house, killed his father when he was 10 years old in 2008, and dug, dug a pit in front of the public and lowered his father's body, placing Bible on his chest. And they told to the public, now the church, the pastor, and the Bible are dead. No more the work of God in this area. In 2019, the Lord woke this young man up. He's already grown to be a teenager. What have you done about this? They have killed your dad, but they have not killed the gospel. Can you stand up and serve? And immediately, he picked up his Bible next day. He wanted to really communicate what he had heard from the Lord. And first thing he heard was his mother and his sister and others, they said, no, it's a bad idea. We are not going to even come if you start a church. And he built this church, what you see here, with his own hands, with mud, mud walls. All by himself he built, and he began to worship in the same place for several months until somebody showed up. Today, God's faithfulness, again, there is a vibrant church being there. Jesus touched his life, and he said, I really want to live for him. When Jesus transforms your life, you can't stay quiet here. That is not what you are transformed for. If the Lord has brought me to America, if I settle down into a good house and enjoy the life, that is not what God has blessed me for. God has blessed me so that I can go out and show the blessings of God to thousands of people who are perishing without any hope. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus redeems a man from demonic activities. And this man comes to Jesus and tells, Jesus, I want to come and stay with you. Can I stay with you because demons are going to come back again? But, you know, I'm afraid. And Jesus tells, no, don't come to me. Don't try to spend with me. Get out, and I want you to go home to your family. Tell them that what the Lord has done for you. Tell all that what the Lord has done to you. Go and do it. That is what you are transformed for. If you are the follower of Jesus Christ, you should have kingdom lenses. Kingdom lenses. No matter where you are, in your knowledge of the word, in your competency in the world, no matter, 
It is the Holy Spirit that does work, not you. You are just a channel. You're just a channel, just go and be available. But if you are still not the follower of Jesus Christ, probably you're spiritually blind, there's a hope for you. He wants to give you hope, not just on earth, but for eternity. What you want more than that? Shall we all pray? Lord, we know, Lord, we are also lost in the distractions of the world like disciples did. We don't see your purposes in the problems, but we straight look at the problems and the causes and waste our time debating who is at fault, who is right. God, give us grace that we will have the eyes that you ask disciples to have to see kingdom purpose in every need. Lord, thank you for all of us, Lord, in a place of comfort where we don't have any opposition, where we do not have any challenges, but we still see hopelessness in our neighborhood, in our offices, in our schools, in the places where we walk and talk. Lord, I pray that you will break our hearts with the things that break your heart and transform people's lives, Lord. Lord, give us that kind of passion so that we'll be like disciples to see your grace and your mercy and touch the world for your kingdom purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.